Now this morning, I want to pray for us before we really get started and jump into this. And um, this is one of those messages that as I prepared for this this week, occasionally you, as a pastor, you get like assigned a topic. And when you get the topic, you think, oh man, because it's, it's you, you know? And so this is one of those topics that as I began to prep and prepare for it this week, I felt God just saying, you need, to, you need to see this, you need to hear this, you need to know this. And so as much as hopefully God will speak to you this morning, just know he's already done a work in my heart and in my life this week in preparing for this. And so if you would bow with me, let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll jump right in. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that you give us this space and this time and this opportunity to come together and to take a deep breath to be able to look at our life honestly, God, to evaluate the places in our life, God, that you're working, the places that we want you to work, and the places that you want to work. So, God, we love you today. And truth be told, as Drew said earlier, we need you today. So I pray, God, you'd speak to us, you'd change us, and you would mold us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you watch the show Fixer Upper, maybe you've seen this before, but Chip and Joanna in the show Fixer Upper do a wonderful job as they take a couple, and the couple's deciding which house to buy. They usually have three they take them to. He's like, you got this one, this one, and this one. Whenever the couple chooses a home, then they always show them like a model or some kind of like graphic of what the house could look like once they do the work, you know? And the coolest part about the show is once you see that graphic, once you see the model of what this, this house is going to become, what do you do the rest of the show? You're just waiting to like see the final product. You know, you're waiting to see what this thing is actually going to look like. And so at the very end of the show, then you have the big reveal. You have the, the big picture on wheels. They roll out of the way. They're like, boom, here's your new house. And people go crazy and people are weeping and stuff. And so within the show, I would imagine Chip and Joanna are anxious to see what they could possibly do, even though, especially because they've promised these different things. I'm sure as a couple, they're anxious to see because they're going to live in this home one day. And you at home, even sitting on your couch watching this show, you're anxious to see the big reveal as well. Because you want to walk into the house and see the granite countertops brand new in the kitchen. Go into the bathroom and see the new, the new uh, bathtub in the corner, the garden tub, and see the new paint and the new floor and all these different things. It's so beautiful. I mean, the big reveal is really what the whole show is culminating on. It's what everybody's waiting for. Even as you watch the show, it's the thing that you want to see. But the problem is, to be able to get to the big reveal at the end, what do you got to go through first? The renovation. There's a whole process to this. Even within the show, every person knows that there's a renovation that first has to take place before the reveal can actually happen. You know, throughout this series, we've been saying that we have a God who cares about us and who loves us enough that he's able to see a good fixer-upper, and he knows that he can do great work. Not only that, but we have a God who sees potential within the lives of people, amen? I don't know about you, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God could look into my life and he could see the potential that was in my life, even though I couldn't see it myself. Maybe some of you in the room, maybe nobody's seen the potential in you, but guess what? God does. God sees a good fixer-upper and he does really great work and the potential that exists within your life, he can see it actually happen. But there's a process to it. It takes time. It takes time because God grows things. He knows exactly what he's doing, but it's not on our time schedule. Not only that, but it's also difficult and it's painful because sometimes there's sacrifice involved becoming the person that God wants us to be. And not only that, but it takes patience too because we are a work in progress. But luckily, God has promised us the work that he's began in your life, he will continue it until it's complete. So today, maybe this morning, the first thing you need to hear is this. If you're frustrated because you feel like you aren't where you want to be, you're not done yet. And for those of us this morning that feel like we've arrived somehow, guess what? You haven't. God is still working. He sees a good fixer-upper, and he does really, really great work. A full-life renovation does not happen overnight. It takes a long time, and it's definitely a process. 
Now, if anyone in the room this morning has ever lived in a house while you're renovating the same house, raise your hand. Anyone? So you, you feel my pain when I say this. If you've ever lived in a house as you're doing a renovation, you notice a bit of anxiety that comes along with that, right? A little bit of discomfort. The peace gets, gets disrupted a little bit because when you've eaten KFC, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Arby's for like weeks on end because your kitchen looked like a bomb went off in it, there's some anxiety that happens there. Where everyone's sleeping in the same bed because all the bedrooms have no floors in them, you know? Or you're taking baths and showers at your neighbor's house because your bathroom is not functional at the moment. There's anxiety that comes with this. It's a bit of a difficult thing. Not many people I know that I've come across have had a renovation project of some kind and not felt some kind of anxiety, some kind of disruption to the peace. Truth is, I believe 100% in this room this morning, every single one of us probably have some kind of level of anxiety within our life. And for some of us, it's just boiling beneath the surface. You know, you, you can push it down for a while, but eventually you feel it again. There's this level of anxiety that, that begins to grow sometimes. And sometimes that anxiety comes from a family that you exist within that is so dysfunctional. And you're always seemingly waiting for the next shoe to drop. You've gotten so used to bad news that you're just waiting for the next bad news to come. And for some of you, you're anxious because of the current state of our country or the current state of our world. I mean, you go to bed, you go to bed at night thinking about it. You wake up in the morning thinking about it. And you watch news eight hours a day on 24 hours news cycle, which is certainly helping the situation. And you get so anxious over what's going on within our world, within our country. Maybe for some of us, the anxiety that we feel is because of really bad decisions that we've made over and over and over again to the point where we, we feel like we can't even trust ourselves anymore. It makes us so anxious. And some of us, we have a past tragedy, a past struggle, a loss, a conflict of some kind that we replay in our minds over and over and over again. Now, for whatever reason, we have this level of stress and anxiety that exists within our lives. And it's probably for a lot of different reasons. And it's a difficult thing to say because we live in America. We should be, we should be living in a country where we really know peace, right? But most of the time, we, we get robbed of the peace that Jesus has promised for us. Because we're so anxious and we're so worried. And, and too many of us, we feel like we're in this constant renovation process and there's no hope. In our heart and our minds, we feel like there's no hope to ever see a real final product. What I want you to know this morning, first and foremost, is that the scriptures say that's not the case. Things can change. God can do great work. When the scriptures talk about anxiety, use a very specific word. It's mirna. They would say mirna. This is the word that literally means, in the Greek, it means divided. It means scattered. It means to fracture into pieces. It has a bit of a, a picture with it of someone who's like spinning plates. And you got this plate going, you got to go over to get this plate going again, keep this one falling, and you're going all over the place. Anybody relate to that? That's my life. If I'm honest, in my life and in my family, we know anxiety well because we see him every single day. In my life, I don't know about yours, but we have all kinds of things going on. Like from our family, to our work, to sports, to fender benders and insurance and grocery store trips and family illness and laundry and diapers and bills. And I could go on and on and on. 400 different things that vie for our attention. 400 different things that our heart and our mind want to go to. We literally live a fractured life. We are scattered in every way possible. And this is the very definition of anxiety. This is what anxiety looks like. It's a fracturing. It's a scattering. And so what happens too often is we get to the end of the day after we've finally made it, we land in our bed, we're ready to go to sleep, and guess what happens? And it always happens in the quiet times. Your mind begins to roll, doesn't it? Did I lock the door? 
Did I turn on the alarm? Did I brush my kids' teeth? Did I respond to all the messages that I got today? What kind of likes did I get on my post today? Am I ready for the thing that's going to happen tomorrow? Is North Korea really going to launch another missile? You begin to think about all of these different things, and too often within our life, we begin to have this anxiety that builds up. And if we're honest, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, trying to keep up, keep all the pieces together. And you know what's the funniest thing about this? For some reason, this way of living has attached itself to like American Christianity, the American dream. Have all this stuff, do all this stuff, be a part of all this stuff. And the problem is, I don't think this is what God intended for us to be this scattered, to be this broken, to be this fractured. I believe that God has a different desire for us. I believe that God wants to actually renovate our life from being people who are full of anxiety to become people who really actually know peace. In the New Testament, the word peace is spoken about often as well, and it's a Greek word as well. It's arene. Everyone say arene. This particular Greek word is beautiful in light of the word for anxiety. This word peace literally means to tie together to make whole, to have all the essential parts joined together. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? That sounds good. That sounds refreshing. That sounds like something I'd actually want in my life. I contend this. I think the anxiety really, at, at at its core, is a first world problem. It's a first world problem. I've traveled to the Dominican Republic more times than I could probably count. I've, I lived in the Dominican when I was in high school. I spent many, many times of my life in the Dominican Republic. And every time that I would go to the Dominican on a mission trip, whatever else I was doing, when I would get to the country, here was my attitude in my heart as an American, as a good American. I'm coming from a first world country. I'm coming to a third world country, and I'm going to fix everything. You're welcome. And so we arrive with all this stuff and these bags full of things, and we're ready to come fix what's wrong with the Dominican Republic, whatever place we're traveling to. I know a group that just went to Haiti maybe had the same attitude to begin with. We're here to fix things. And the organization that we go with and spend time with in the Dominican, some of you students are sitting here this morning have been and know exactly what this is like. The first thing they say to us is, they say this, you've come to the Dominican to fix the things that are broken here, and here's the problem. You are the ones who are broken. You are the ones who are broken. We are more medicated. We are more depressed. The suicide rate in America far exceeds anything in any of these countries. How can this be? How can this be? We seemingly have everything we need and everything that we want, and the people that we're going to have nothing. But my friends that I've met in the Dominican Republic have more peace than I have. They're more content than I will ever be. How can this be? I think it's because some of the folks that I've come across in this different place, the anxieties that I have eating my soul, they don't worry about the next iPhone. They don't worry about their Facebook status, their 401k, gas prices, their fantasy football league. This is not a concern of theirs. You know what what they're concerned about? Will my children have something to eat today? Will my children get, get some food today to keep them alive till tomorrow? And when this is your only concern... When this is what you are worried about and not the other 400,000 things that your mind could possibly go to, you can know peace. You can know peace. This is why when I go to the Dominican, every time I come home, I'm like, listen, you know what? I got to change my life because I want to know what they know. I want to experience that. I want to experience real peace within my life, and too often I just don't. You know, the audacious belief of the Christian faith is this, that we as people, we can be changed by the power of God. 
I mean, it's audacious, but we believe it. We believe that we could go from broken, scattered, fractured, fractured, and anxious people to become people who know wholeness, restoration, and peace. And so this morning, if you are frustrated with your life, if you feel like, like I've just described you to a T, I want to give you hope this morning. Things can change. You can have a full life renovation by the power of God in your life. There's a passage of scripture in Psalm 23, probably one of the best known Psalms of all time. You may have memorized it as a child. You've probably heard it a million times. This was written by a man named David. It's very well known. And David, we don't really know when he wrote this particular Psalm in 23, but we, we do know this, that it seems to be at the end of his life because of the wisdom that exists within the Psalm, because of the life experience that exists within this Psalm. This Psalm speaks so heavily towards what we've discussed this morning, this renovation, and the movement that can take place within our life from anxiety to peace. David begins this passage in, in Psalm 23 by saying, the Lord our God, he's a shepherd. He's a shepherd. And David would have understood exactly what he was saying because David, for a lot of his life, he spent time where? Out in the fields, tending sheep. He, he knew what it was like as a shepherd to take care of a flock to take care of a group of sheep. And so when he says, our Lord, our God is a shepherd, he means something by this. This phrase, shepherd, was used awesome and often in the ancient Near Eastern culture to describe kings, to describe gods, to describe religious leaders, because these were folks who had groups of people that they watched over and groups of people that they took care of, just like a shepherd does with sheep. There were really three main uh, roles of a shepherd within the ancient Near East. The first one was to guide, to provide, and to protect. So when David calls our God a shepherd, this is what he means. Here's what he says in Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor for his name. See, David knew something because of his past experience. He knew that a shepherd would know that a sheep has a propensity to wander away. A sheep has kind of built within them to get lost, to get injured, to be frustrated by the things they find within the wilderness. And so because of this, a shepherd would have to guide them and lead them. It says a little bit later on in this passage that a shepherd would have a rod or a staff with a crook to be able to guide these sheep and protect these sheep from the things that would come their way. Here's what David understood for, for his life and for our life, that we have to be led into places of peace. Sometimes we have to be led into places of peace. Our God is a God who makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still, peaceful waters. He guides us on the right path because too often that's not the path that we choose. When I was growing up, about third, fourth grade or something like that, we had a sheep. We had like one sheep, and I, to this day, don't quite understand why we had one sheep. And his name was Samson. And he was an interesting uh, individual. He was very dangerous. We would go out in the field. We would run around. He would chase us. We'd take boxes to keep him away from us as he would as he'd try to butt us. My dad would mow the grass in that, in that field, and he would come, headbutt the back of the mower, and break the lights. I mean, not the smartest individual either. But Samson was my only experience really with a sheep. But just in that one experience, what I found out is that sheep are not the most smart animals who have ever walked the earth. Like, they're not brilliant or anything. And so sheep... If you're a shepherd, you have to know that because they're going to do their own thing. This is why oftentimes within Scripture, this is an image that they, they've picked up upon. Sheep get lost. Sheep get injured. Sheep, sheep wander astray. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's my shepherd, 
David understood, just like in his life and in our life, we are people who, you know, given to ourselves, we're always going to go towards anxiety. We're always going to go towards the brokenness of life. We're not people who are conditioned to go towards places of peace. We have to be led into places of peace. You know, in my home, I live with three other individuals, my wife and my two boys. And if I'm really honest, sometimes something my wife says to me hits, th- hits me the wrong kind of way, husbands. And I respond in a way that I shouldn't. Sometimes my boys do something that's an accident. They drop chips, they spill something, whatever it might be. And sometimes I lose my mind over an accident. And if I'm really honest this morning, usually, hardly ever does the situation warrant the over-the-top over response that I give. Anyone else? Am I the only one in the room? I mean, like, sometimes I'm losing my mind. And I'm thinking, like, what is wrong with me? It was a chip. You know, my wife asked me what I did today, and I'm, like, going crazy. But here's why. If I'm really truthful and honest, and if I slow down enough, I can recognize it's because there's a certain level of anxiety that I have in my life about different things. It's, it's something or some things that somehow is coming out sideways because of all these different things that are happening in my life. It's really not circumstantial. It's something else deep within me. And so I'm not somebody that, that, that goes often towards a peaceful place. I'm often someone who goes towards a place of anxiety, and, and I'm probably not the only person like that in this room. I have to allow myself for God to lead me and to guide me into places of peace. I need him to determine for me what is the most important thing for me to give my life to and what should I not give my life to. I need God to lead me, to show me who's someone I should ask for forgiveness from and who is someone I should forgive. I need God to lead me, to show me the things I should say yes to and the things I should say no to. I need God to lead me into places of peace because given to myself, I don't end up there. And too often in our lives, we're reliving stuff from the past, like five or 10 minutes ago or five or 10 years ago. And we're bringing it up in our mind over and over and over again. And not only that, but we're also living into the future. What's to come? These graduates are sitting right here right now. I know because I've had conversation with you. Some of them are extremely anxious about what's going to happen next. But here's the problem. When we live our life day in and day out, worried about what has taken place and worried about what's to come, guess what we never do? Live right here. In this moment, and we live that way, anxiety has a way of taking over. The pressures have a way of taking over. Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest and a writer and a speaker, he has a mantra that he's conditioned himself to say and speak each and every day, and it's very simple. He says this, just this. Just this. Because every one of us have 400, 5,000, 6 million things that we could possibly give ourselves to. All these things that our mind could go to. And sometimes we have to slow down enough to allow God to speak into our hearts and for us to remind ourselves, I should focus right now on just this. I mean, why do I sit down at McDonald's with lunch with my son and I'm on my phone thinking about something else instead of spending time with him? Why do I find myself having something so important to do, but instead of really being there and a part of whatever it is, I'm doing something else within my mind or within my heart? No. Just this. Just this. This is what allows us to live in the moment right here and right now. This is what allows us to really cast off anxiety. The cure for anxiety is not becoming more scattered. The cure for anxiety is is simplifying. It's focusing just this, being present right here, right now. 
And for many of us this morning, anxiety is not something that, that we just find ourselves in. It's something that happens to us. For some of us this morning, anxiety is, is a place that we never wanted to be, and yet we're there. And David speaks this as well within the 23rd Psalm. Verse 4 through verse 6, he says this, Even when I walk through what? The darkest valley. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of who? My enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There are two locations that David speaks about here. And what's amazing to me, and in both locations, guess who's beside him? The Lord, the good shepherd. It's a place of peace. The first one is this, the valley of the shadow of death. As David writes this as a shepherd, he knew out in the wild there are places where you would take your sheep and have to lead your sheep where there'd be craggy overhangs. It was a dangerous place because there'd be bears and lions, oh my, literally waiting for these sheep to come through so they could pounce and prowl upon these different vulnerable sheep. So when David says, even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing because you're with me. At the end of this passage, David says, hey, listen, also, this, this good shepherd, he's preparing a meal for me at a table in front of who? My enemies. Even in the midst of my enemies and my danger, I can find peace. See, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of a good shepherd. It's not the absence of conflict within our life. It's, it's the presence of a good shepherd. Here's how I know this. I see Jesus within the, within the scriptures have incredible peace, even in difficult times. There's a storm and a boat being tossed about. Guess what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of a good shepherd. You see, the good shepherd overcomes a bad circumstance. The good shepherd overcomes a bad circumstance. You might find yourself today in, a, in, a, in the valley of the shadow of death. You may find yourself today in the presence of your enemies, but you're not alone. Just recently, I took a group of high school boys backpacking in North Carolina, and um, I said something before we left to the parents of these students. I said to them, hey, listen, I've backpacked probably 24 times. I've been in the woods with hundreds of students. I've never, ever seen a bear, ever. Why are you laughing? Bad move. So we, we get into the mountains, we backpack in, we get to our first campsite, everything's fine, everything's cool, everybody's having a great time, we set up our campsite, I get in my hammock about midnight, ready to take, finally get some sleep, the, the fire's just, just kind of smoldering next to me. Next thing I know, I wake up at 1.30 in the morning, zipped up to my chin, I've got my headlamp on, my hands all in my sleeping bag, a little chilly, and I realize I feel like something's not right. So I take my hand, I turn my headlamp on, I lean down my, my hammock, and I, about 25 yards from me or so is a black bear standing in our camp. And right next to him, five feet away, is one of our high school students in a hammock, just like a burrito. <laughs> and people said, what did the bear look like? And I'm like, remember Drew Martin? If he was on all fours, that's what the bear looked like. Okay. He was big and he was scary. And so I, I didn't go to school at CIU. And they didn't teach us, like, when you see a bear in your camp, here's what you do with students. Like, I didn't get that class. And so I didn't really know what to do. So I yelled at him. I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> and... That's all I had. So 
so I, I yelled at him and, and it did startle him. It scared him. So he ran off out of the camp and just crashed through all kinds of stuff. And, and it took me about five minutes to get out of my sleeping bags. My adrenaline was going. I was so nervous. And I was trying to unzip everything. And I finally get out and I run over to Tyler, my intern. And I'm like, Tyler, you got to get up because there's a bear in camp. So he's like, <gasps> so he's drooling. And he gets up and we end up back at the fire. We start just throwing as many sticks as we can on the fire. And I would love to say the bear just left, but he didn't. He came back to our campsite and went over to where we hung three bear bags, which again, I don't normally do, and I'm so thankful I did that day, with all of our toothpaste, deodorant, food, everything up in a tree, and he ended up crashing all these trees and pulling down one of our bear bags, ate all of our dinner for the next day. And he did it for five hours. So Tyler and I sat around the fire, and one by one, students began to wake up and come by the fire as well, except for one, Carter Lacey, who fell asleep in the tent, slept all night long. It was wonderful. Everybody else ended up around the fire, hoping this bear was not going to come in camp and eat all of us too. And I'll be really honest with you. I'm a 34-year-old man, and I was sitting around the fire, and I was so scared. But I got high school boys with me, so I got to be cool about it. So we're like telling stories and laughing, and another kid comes by, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's a bear. It's like right over there. You can hear him if you listen really closely. <laughs> and we're having this conversation, but the weirdest thing happened. Throughout that five hours of time around the fire, the more students that came around the fire, the more of us that sat together and talked, I began to feel my anxiety levels just lessen and lessen and lessen. Not because I, didn't, I felt protected by them, but I just knew I wasn't alone. All of a sudden, just knowing that I wasn't by myself began to change the anxiety levels and really brought peace to the circle of all of us sitting there. Now, luckily, we got to, to hike out and go get a Chinese buffet on the way to our next campsite, which was nice too. But I know this. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Anxiety will come. But the good news is that we have a good shepherd who cares about us and who loves us and doesn't leave us alone. And if you go through the valley of the shadow of death, guess who's with you? He's going with you. If you find yourself in the presence of your enemies, he's with you. You can know peace in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of what's going on, because peace is not circumstantial. Peace has everything to do with, with the good shepherd that we know and we love. You know, preparing for this message, I came across a passage that I've read many, many times with my life, 1 Peter chapter 5. And in this particular passage, I've read it many times as a kid. I even heard songs about it. Cast your burdens on Jesus, you know. We like sang songs about this. I've known it for a long time, but I did not realize the place that this passage comes next to another passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 7 says this. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. It's the shepherd discussion. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd, talking about Jesus, appears, you will see, receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. As you relate to one another. Sorry. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up and he will honor you. Give all of your worries, in some places, some translations say, give all of your anxiety and cares to God. Because why? He cares for you. Give all of your anxiety to God because he cares for you. In this passage, the writer begins with this whole discussion about shepherd and sheep because he's speaking to church leaders. Take care of these folks just like a shepherd does with his sheep. And then he mentions the chief shepherd, the good shepherd who's coming, Jesus. When he appears, you'll get your applause. And then he says, cast all of your cares and all of your anxiety upon Jesus because he cares for you, because he loves you. You know, we've talked a lot in this series about the physical aspects of a house. 
You know, the foundation has to be right. All the pieces of the house have to be right in order for us to grow and become the people that God wants us to be. What I've found in my life, though, the outside physical aspects of a home have very little to do with that house being a house versus it being a home. If I look back on my life as a, as a kid, if you would ask me then, I would have been like, yeah, my parents don't understand me. They don't care about me. But truth be told, as I look back now from the time that I was a kid, I had a home. I mean, I could go home to my house and I felt like if I had anxieties and cares and things that were taking place in my life, I could talk to somebody about it. I mean, I could bring it up to them. They'd listen to me. Now, I'd love to say it was always perfect, but it, it wasn't. But I felt like I had a place that was like safe, you know? I had some friends growing up that were like always at my house. Like there were always people at my house. My parents sometimes would make jokes, be like, hey, don't you have a house to go to? That kind of thing. And if I look back now, I realize why some of those kids were at my house all the time. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a safe place they could go to where they knew someone cared about them and loved them enough to hear the anxiety that was happening within their life. He says, listen, you, the passage says we have to cast off our anxiety, give it to Jesus, and embrace real peace. And in doing 11 years of student ministry, I've found that there are some students who don't have this kind of place. It's a rarity where there's a home that's a real home. It's not just a physical structure that's safe, but it's a place that's safe, that's full of love and care and concern. But God says, cast your anxiety off and embrace peace. This is because we have a God who really does care for us. Do you understand this? He doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you. And for you to bring anxiety and worry and difficulty within your life and to put it on his shoulders is nothing for him. It's what he longs for from you. And too many of us, we're trying so hard to keep it to ourselves and keep all the pieces together, keep the plates spinning, instead of just saying, you know what, Jesus, I can't do it. I, I, this anxiety is killing me and I need to let it go. We need to cast off anxiety and embrace peace, the real wholeness that comes. Because some of us, there's a healthy practice I think that we need to develop. And that healthy practice I would call preventative maintenance. Maybe on your home, the house that you live in, you do preventative maintenance. I don't, and I should. There are certain places in a home, it's a roof or it's a, a pipe of some kind. There are certain places in your home, if something's going to go wrong, that's where it's going to go wrong. And, and a prudent thing would be to check those places often within your home to see if something's happening so you can fix it. I had a kitchen door in my house that did not quite function the way it should. The problem was the trash can was right behind it, so it happened often. So as I began to see that get looser and looser, I should have done something about it, but I didn't. I just decided everyone be gentle with the door. Don't open it so hard. Honey, please. So it would open and open, and eventually one of, the, one of the, the, uh, the hinges at the bottom broke off, and that was just the top one, which is not a problem, because you just, like, just got to like put it back in place. It, it's not that difficult. And I should have just stopped and said, you know what, we need to take care of this and do something about this instead of letting it fall into disrepair, but I didn't. I think within our life, we have to have the same kind of mentality, too. What are the places within our life where we potentially come across some kind of difficulty, come across some kind of struggle, you know, verse 8 of this passage speaks about Satan, the evil one who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's amazing to me, those two verses come next to each other. Cast your anxiety upon God for he cares for you. But be sober, be alert that there's an evil one who wants to take you out. Your, your marriage is at risk today because Satan is real and the evil one is prowling. You know, when it comes to your finances at your home, it's at risk today because there's an evil one that would love to mess it all up within your job, your character, your integrity, all that you have. Satan is like a roaring lion and he's prowling, looking for, for someone to devour. For these students who are graduating, if I can say nothing else to you, it's this. Listen, you have to understand there was someone who would love to take you out. 
but you also have a good shepherd who cares about you and who loves you, and who will guide you, provide for you, and protect you. And so this morning, I think the, the practice that we should have is one of really being having a sober self-assessment about our life. Because so many of us, our fists look like this. We're holding on to all this stuff with such anxiety. The problem is when you hold on to things like this and your fists are like this, you can't let go to embrace real peace. Uh, everyone, just take your fists like this. Just put them right in front of you. Just up in the air. I want you to think. Don't share with your neighbor. But just think in your mind, what are, what are some pieces of anxiety that exist within your life right now that's keeping you from moving forward that's holding you in the place that you've been in, that's, that's, that's hindering the kind of work that God's trying to do in your life. I think if we made a regular practice of holding our hands before God and saying, you know what, God, here's the things that I'm, that I'm anxious about, that I'm holding on to, and I want to let go of it. Just open your fists now and say, God, I, I want to receive peace. I want to receive wholeness. And in order to do so, some of us have to let go of the struggles and the difficulties and the frustrations that we're holding so tight to. There are normal areas of danger within your home that have to be looked after often, and there's normal areas of danger within our life as well that anxiety loves to prey upon. It'd be prudent for us to, to go there often to make sure that we're not broken, scattered, or fractured, that we can let go of our anxiety and truly take hold of peace. Because every one of us this morning, there will be voices that you're going to hear day in and day out. It's culture, it's media, it's someone in your life who doesn't have your best interest in mind. It's a, it's a tape that you play from when you were young over and over and over. And we convince ourselves about all these kinds of things. And those voices aren't healthy. They aren't helpful. And the problem is when you have so many voices in your life, it's really difficult to get to know the voice you should hear, which is the voice of the Good Shepherd. Jesus in John chapter 10, he's speaking to his disciples and others, and he's explaining, listen, I am the Good Shepherd. And my sheep, they know my voice. They know my voice. I would love to say that as a pastor of this church, I go home and I'm like the best pastor at home with my family. My wife like is like, you're so amazing. I want children like weep at how wonderful their dad is. And it's just not true. I mean, some days it's really difficult to like put it on at work and then come home and put it back on again. I know some of y'all struggle with this too. And so I've decided there were like certain things that I really want to be good at and I really want to be consistent in. And so for me in my house, in the morning we make breakfast and we make lunch for my son Eli, or we made it the night before my wife makes it, I love to sit down with a little piece of paper and I write a passage of scripture on that piece of paper and I put it into his lunchbox. I don't always know if he reads them. I know probably sometimes he goes and just opens it up and he's ready for his sandwich and he disregards it altogether, but he's got a stack stuffed in there of all these things every day, day in, day out. And here's why. I know even as a kindergarten kid, the things that I'm hearing from him and the things that he's bringing home, man, the voices are so strong. It's so crucial. It's so crucial that we would know the voice of our shepherd. I want him to know no matter what he hears, no matter what's told to him, that this is what is true. This is what God thinks about you. This is what's true about you. So you don't get confused by all the other things. Students, you need to know as you take your next step, you are loved by God. It's the first voice of the gospel. And for those of us who listen to all these other voices, we need to know that we are loved by God. He wants to renovate our life. He doesn't want you to live in anxiety. He wants you to know peace. And for some of us this morning, we need to reacquaint ourselves with the voice of the Good Shepherd because we've forgotten what he sounds like. 
And I believe when we can know his voice, we can hear his voice, we can shut out all the other things that come our way so we can hear him, so he can guide us and lead us along the peaceful streams to make us lie down in the green grass and to guide us on the path that we should be on. Because he loves us and he cares for us. So this morning, I know when I leave here, there'll be 40,000 things vying for my attention. I know that once again, anxiety will begin to build up and bubble just below the surface. But let us be people who remind ourselves that's not the kind of life that God has for us. He wants us to know peace, wholeness, where all the essential pieces we put back in the place they should be. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, thank you that you care for us, God, and you love us. Thank you that you give, you give us your voice that we might know you and follow you and be directed by you. I pray, Father, for every person here this morning, God, who's struggling with some kind of anxiety in their life, some kind of worry, I pray, God, that we would open our fists and allow you to have it so we can receive from you wholeness and peace for our life. I thank you, God, that we are a work in progress, and I'm thankful, God, that you are all about doing real-life renovation inside of each and every one of us. So, God, would you work? Will we give you space to work? It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen you and follow you, be directed by you. I pray, Father, for every person here this morning, God, who's struggling with some kind of anxiety in their life, some kind of worry, I pray, God, that we would open our fists and allow you to have it so we can receive from you wholeness and peace for our life. I thank you, God, that we are a work in progress, and I'm thankful, God, that you are all about doing real life renovation inside of each and every one of us. So, God, would you work? Will we give you space to work? It's your name we pray this morning. Amen.